You want to be successful? Do you want to grow your business? Do you want to dominate the day? Then you're going to need Big Skip Energy. Welcome back to the Big Skip Energy Podcast. My name is Skip Wilcox, and as always, I am your host. And today, I've got a really, really interesting uh, interview for you. I'm going to be talking to Zandy Whitman, who is going to talk to us about selling in a niche market, her experience uh, as a woman in both sales and predominantly male industries. And she's also going to talk a little bit about sales processes and how to navigate those waters, amongst several other things. Now, Zandy is going to be really bringing the energy. She definitely uh, exemplifies that big skip energy that you always hear me talking about. So without further ado, here is Zandy. Zandy Whitman, welcome to the Big Skip Energy Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad that you joined me today. Why don't you take a second, introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, what you're all about. Sure. My name is Zandy Whitman, and I am a former educator and robotics coach, and I currently work in education sales. Education sales. So I don't come across that very often. That's kind of interesting. But you know, you so you used to be a teacher and now you're in sales. Talk to me about that transition. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting transition. I was in the classroom for several years and I was writing curriculum and developing um, different technology for use in classrooms from grades K through the university level. I worked a lot with 3D printers, virtual reality, fun new technology that was just coming out. And when I had my second baby and went on maternity leave, I realized that to put him in daycare, I was only going to take home $100 a month. Nice. Well, you mean, you mean education doesn't pay well? Imagine that. No. Oh, man. And I was in South Tampa, so it was painful. And at the same time, a company offered to contract me out to develop some virtual reality modules for them. So I said, yeah, sure. So I started with one contract and then it just kind of caught fire and launched my own company from there. And I loved it. And then, you know, it's sales because you have to have conversations and convince people you're the correct person for the job. And then it naturally evolved into me talking to different distributors for these companies, different school districts, um, developers, engineers, all of different walks of life, um, all involved mostly in education and high technology. And I moved to Austin, Texas and got involved with incubators there and it just exploded. And then a company stole me for full-time education sales. <laughs> they made an offer. I just couldn't refuse. Wow. You, wow, you it was super the fun. You I got to okay. All right. Yeah. So, they offered a cool opportunity to travel the whole U.S. And it was my passion work, robotics, and to sell into school districts. And so I jumped on it and I've never looked back. Never looked back. I love it. I love it. So the robotics thing is really cool. Um, How'd you get into that? How'd you discover that that was something that you were interested in? Actually, I was going to med school and I decided I did not want to become a physician. So I went back to my favorite professor when I was in college and I was like, I'm not going to go to med school. And he said, great. I never wanted you to do that. I was like, okay, well, what do you think I should do? Right. He was like, I don't think it's for you emotionally. I'm like, 
okay? <laughs> He's what like, listen, it's <laughs> right. He was like, it's really tough and you're really sweet. And I just think that you should be a teacher. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like they're broke. And he's like, yeah, you're going to love it. And I'm like, okay. And then he's like, the national science foundation wants to pay you to go to grad school and become a teacher. And I was like, okay. And so I said, let me look into it. And then I decided to jump on this noise STEM scholar program. And I was placed in a cohort with all engineers and, um, they all had a vast background in robotics. And so basically, instead of doing a year of grad school, I got a year of engineering grad school. And it was the most wonderful, beneficial thing that's ever happened to my life. I learned how to program, build and design robots. I learned all sorts of nerdy things that I never thought I would know. Very cool. I'm sorry. Did you just throw out the term engineered? I did throw out the term engineered. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, uh <laughs> How okay, so I guess translate for me how you how your skill set in education, technology, that kind of thing has translated over to sales. I think that really the skills that translate over to sales are your ability to build relationships with people and to really listen and understand where people's um, pain points are as well as where they're excelling. Because anytime you are selling something to someone, what you're really doing is you're looking to amplify whatever is working and you're looking to fix areas that are in need of a product that's going to make something work or help someone reach a goal. And the other, I guess, big um, thing or or ability um, that people have that translates over into sales is you have to see the big picture, especially in education. Change doesn't happen overnight. We would love to believe that it does or in a year or in a month that we can change these scores or um, students are going to all of a sudden have this comprehensive conceptual understanding of a subject. But it really happens around three to five year cycles. So you have to have a lot of patience and a vision and an understanding for what is happening, what's trending, um, be able to predict trends and then develop a cohesive and comprehensive plan for some sort of implementation tool, again, that works with what is working that they're doing and then helps fix problems that they're experiencing. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, then you say that your ability to really guide somebody from point A to B to C to D as, as with like a learning process has helped you guide your prospects and your customers down that sales path. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, of course. Okay. So you you in particular are are interesting to me because your focus is on STEM, right? And for those who don't know what STEM is, please tell everybody. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, baby. That's right. Yeah, I don't remember a B being on the end of that. But anyway, um, so that's a unique field. And forgive me if this is not a or if this is an ignorant statement, but there's not a lot of women in that in that field, right? As compared to men. So, or, or is that, or is that a misnomer? No, there are tons more men than there are women. Okay. So what kind of challenges does that present to you selling that type of product in a male dominated industry? So to be completely honest with you, you have to, you really have to build up your street credibility. And so when you are walking into a meeting or you're having conversations, uh, whether it be at a large conference or you run into someone 
I think it's very important to, as a woman in the industry that you always speak eloquently and factually about the background of the technology and, and development um, of the technology, the history of it, and, a, and also an understanding of how it's applicable to other people who look like you and function like you. Yeah. Um, you know, like I was a cheerleader in college, for instance. That typically isn't something that you equate with robotics. However, there are a lot of young girls who are super bubbly and athletic and happy and cheerful, and they also love robotics. And so it's nice to be an example of um, you can have a love of robotics, you can have a love of math and technology in the industry, and also still kind of be that bubbly happy. But when you speak, you have to be aware of how you're coming across and being received by other people. Right. Um, as as painful as that is to say, it's very true. And I would say just stay true to your brand always. Um, as a woman, I stay true to my brand. And it's worked very well for me. I'm super honest about my interests and my loves, my knowledge. And the other thing is team up with men. Um, there's no reason not to. It's not like you just have to be a cohort of women to the exclusion of men because there's fewer of us. It's a great right. collaborative space. And I've found a lot of influence from both men and women in the industry. I like that. I like that a lot. Because, I mean, STEM is something that is obviously lacking um, in the U.S. as compared to some of our uh, top tier industrial peers. And so... You know, any effort that helps grow that, not just, you know, amongst men or women or everybody, I think is really important. So um, let's shift gears a little bit and just talk about educational sales in general, because like I said at the beginning, that's not something that I've that I've got a ton of knowledge about. And if I'm not mistaken, that's probably a very niche, very different type of sales environment. Um can you talk to me just in just in general terms a little bit about the industry and some of the challenges that you know, you may experience as opposed to some quote unquote typical sales industries. Um, because I mean, I know you've got exposure to other things. For example, you know, you and I got got connected through Jeb Blunt, Jeff Bajoric. So, you know, I know you have exposure to that. So talk to me a little bit about those differences. Yeah, sure. One um, difference in education, I actually just experienced this. Somebody asked me for a feedback on a product that they're developing and they never sold into education before. And the product is really cool. They come from a toy industry background. And I said, your product is great, but you can't sell into education. And he was like, don't tell me that. Like, really? And I said, no, you can't. You don't understand the industry. Yeah. First of all, when you're looking at a child and you look at how long they are at school, the majority of the time they are at school, they are required to be engaged with content that is very scholastic in nature. There are learning standards and objectives attached to it because our students need to have very specific um, and non-specific understandings of different subject matter content in order to move on to the next grade and in order to be successful. Like for instance, this was um, a math-based product mm -hmm. and you want students ultimately to be successful in algebra one because that's an indicator of how they're going to perform in high school and then beyond. And so I said, this game is super cool. This product is super cool, but you have no math content. Like, when are you going to do this during the school day? On PE in a rainy day, maybe, but what's your price point? How much time can students really spend engaging with this specific product? And where's the value in that? So you really have to work with school districts because they are held, held to very strict um, standards, very strict time zones. 
you have to understand that within a school, they will literally place students in classrooms directly across the hall so that there's less time moving from one classroom to another Mm. to meet the criteria for how many minutes they have to spend in their core content classrooms. So when you're looking at all these time constraints and all of this content that has to be included, you really have to understand how to position your product and you have to understand where you fit. You have to be able to tell people no. So there's districts that I talk to and I say, you have all these other products. These are working. These aren't. This is your school day. This is how it's set up. It's very regimented. There's no time for me. I'm not going to let you take my product and implement it in your school district without fidelity. It's not going to work and you're not going to see results. And so then you become more of a partner for like a change of structure within the district, which takes about a year. And then you can sell your product to them. So the sales cycle in education, especially if you're just getting into a school district, is going to be 12 to 24 months out the gate. And I feel like most people's sales cycle is nowhere near that long. So again, you have to be extremely patient, be very knowledgeable of the difficulties and the requirements that school districts are facing and be ready and willing to have, um, you know, some some influence and some ideas, some inventive solutions for them so that they can solve problems that will allow for your product to be able to be implemented with fidelity during their school days. I really like that. And there there were two things there that I want to come back to. One is uh, the ability to say no to somebody. Because I think in a lot of times in sales, people have a hard time uh, saying no, and they want to fit their round peg into a square hole really, really badly just to make a sale, make it you know feel like a success and do it. But I think having that restraint is really, really important. So talk to me a little bit, you touched on it, but talk to me a little bit more about the power of no there. Absolutely. The power of no is really important when you're dealing with children in their future. So I am super passionate and always have been an advocate for children. And I think that when you take a step back and you really look at the mission of education sales, you're trying to place a product in front of hundreds of thousands of students so that they can literally gain skills and knowledge that's going to take them to the next level. And when I, when I mean next level, for some students, it might be next grade level. Mm. For other students, it might be introducing them to a career they don't even know exists. And for other students, it might be tapping into some sort of subject area they're an expert in that they've never even been exposed to. And so I think it's really important that you really think about the individual child and the group of children and say, is this really what's best for them? Or am I putting something in front of them that is surface level and is not truly going to have the ability to make a change in their life? And if it won't make a change in their life, I'm not selling it to you. I like that. So I think a lot. So salespeople in general are often, I mean, they often focus on going after the no. I mean, there's been, I've had people on this show about that and that kind of thing too. So but I think a lot of times having some measure of, I don't want to call it exclusivity because that's really not what it is, but it really is a, 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 a tool in building trust. Because if you're willing to say no to somebody, kind of like you said, um, that's going to automatically make them trust you just a little bit more. And that's really, really imperative. Um, so I like that a lot. Other thing you said from a minute ago that I want you to talk more about is the fact that you have a long sales cycle, okay? So people from instant gratification all the way up to three to five years, uh, you, you know, yours is definitely on the longer side, but talk to me about sales processes and 
getting those micro commitments and guiding your your potential customer on down that line and how important having a set structure is for that. Is that something that you have a general kind of path that you that you follow or do you do you tailor it specifically to your prospect or is it a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a mix of both? So there is a set process. And the reason I say that is because any anytime you know this in sales that you come up with a process that's reliable and repeatable, you're going to see results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for the person who's on my side. You know, um, like I said, because the sales cycle is not an instant gratification here. You always want to feel like you're making an impact and that you are being successful. And that at the end of the day, you're changing these kids lives. So it's important that you find something that's reliable. And really what's reliable is every school district has a chief academic officer. So one of your first goals when you start having meetings with a school district is you have to figure out who in the school district influences that chief academic officer. Because if you're not influencing that ultimate decision maker, you are not able to help any children in that school district. The Mm -hmm. other um, part of it is you kind of want to identify school districts that are a good match for your product. The product that I sell right now is ST Math, and we fit in several different um, districts and different several different implementations. I work with a really flexible product right now, so mine is not as niche. But I will tell you currently what's working best for me is I have school districts, and I figure out which districts algebra pass rate is in the 40s and 50s, and their goal is to be in the 60s and 70s. And the school district understands it's not going to happen overnight, and they'll make a commitment to work with me for two or more years. That's my target from the get-go. Then I have to figure out, okay, who do I need to meet with and expose the idea of this conceptual visual math um, Mm. product to that's going to go directly to the CAO and fight for it? Who texts the CAO? That's the person I need to talk to every single day because that's the person who's going to influence. And then from there, there's another series of like discovery meetings. Most of what you have to do as part of the sales process is understand the history of the school district. What are their goals? What have they tried to do to meet them? Are they stagnant? Are they going down? Are they going up and and moving forward? How are you going to incrementally reach their goals as you partner together? And then your implementation plan is going to match that. So you literally have to align yourself to the district goals, but you have to figure out what those goals are and how to get to that decision maker from the get go. Then once you talk these decision makers into um, thinking and knowing and build confidence that your product is going to help them reach their goals, you have to figure out funding. And that is a pain in the butt. Because education funding, there's lots of different sources. There's constraints around it. Sometimes you'll have to go through a third party that the district purchases through. So you have to become an approved vendor with them. So as part of that process, once you have buy-in, you better know where the funding is coming from. And you better make sure that you're on that list, that procurement list to make it happen. You need to know when the money's coming in, when you're going to get your PO. Because as a company, I have to provide them with the resources, which is like an education success manager professional learning days. It has to match up with their calendar ahead of time. So in this sales process, you are literally putting all of these pieces together to ensure that in two years, when you get that PO, your three-year plan is laid out. 
you have a professional learning specialist, you have data meetings already on the calendar for the next entire school year. And the date they purchase, they know when they're meeting with you and they understand the goal and the outcome of those meetings before you ever close the deal out. All right. So during any given, let's just call it 12 to 24 months, how many, just to kind of put it in, in, in simpler terms that we can apply to other industries, how many micro commitments would you say you get to guide them along the way? Just ballpark it. No, at least 12 to 20. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. See, and I don't think that that's, that, that part is necessarily unique to your industry. I think that the longer sales cycle means you've got to stay on it and have that defined uh, process in place. So yeah, that's really cool. So I, I want to shift gears as we as we kind of wind down. I want to change topics to something a little bit more fun. Let's talk about some, yeah. Let's talk about some robots. So some robots. Sure. What? Okay. So I, I, I got to be honest with you. I cannot imagine you actually building a robot. But you okay. Can. So that's, that's fair. Tell me, tell me your favorite robotics project that you've ever worked on. Okay, this is a bit of a personal story. So my favorite robotics project that I've actually ever worked on is my mom was um, undergoing chemo during COVID. And my mom is the sassiest, like prissiest woman you would ever meet in your entire life. Just total diva. And we are bored out of our mind. No one is allowed to go into chemo with her but me because I took her the first time and everything is shut down because of COVID. Right. So I walked in to chemo with her one day with a UBTech robotics kit. And I said, mom, you are going to learn to build and program a robot today. And she was like, what? And I was like, I'm not joking. As you're doing chemo and, you know, she was trying to preserve her hair. She has like the frozen head thing on. It was so crazy and chaotic. And you're there for like eight hours. I was like, we're going to learn to build and program this robot together. It was a model I had never even um, built before, but luckily these come with like step-by-step instructions. Mm-hmm. They're meant for middle school and high school students. So yeah. I literally sat down with my mom and we built and programmed a robot together when she was going through chemo. So that's kind of my favorite story of like, really anybody can do it. It's not that hard. We also improvised a lot. And then when you're programming, you make your own code. I use block coding with my mom because um, mm-hmm. she's never program before and it was super basic but that's probably my most fun story of ever building i love it i love it so i'm gonna have to get you on battle bots i think at some point (laughs) so yeah so what 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 would your weapon on your battle bot be what my weapon yeah would you be a saw girl would you have the hammer would you like try yeah i immediately pictured a saw for sure Okay. okay All right, so you can try to cut them in half to win. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a yeah. There's probably a sales metaphor there somewhere. But (laughs) all right, so Randy, before we we end today, tell me tell me something that my listeners would enjoy learning about you that they would not expect. Sure. Um, I think one thing uh, that I think your listeners might enjoy knowing is. I never set out to do sales. I don't have a background in sales. I should have gotten an MBA now, but I didn't know that. So I think that if you have the personality and the drive and you truly love solving problems and listening to people and building relationships, you should definitely try sales like I did. I'm so glad that I made the leap 
It's yeah. also not an easy job or fun job. It takes a lot of inventive ideas, strategic planning, and a lot of stamina to do. So be prepared for that. Um, but I think it's an industry that's fantastic for the right personality, especially if you have like ADHD. <laughs> so uh, go for it. That would be that would be my advice. If you're looking at sales, just go for it. Just go for it. All right. I love it. And if my listeners want to learn more about you, get in contact with you, where can they go and do? And Sure. So I actually still own the Practical Educator. If you go to the practicaleducator.com website, it's still up. I don't really use it or do anything with it, but you can always find me there. Very good. And LinkedIn, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Look me up on LinkedIn. I'm super active there. Very good. Well, Zandy, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to have you on again later. Thanks. Guys, if y'all don't follow Zandy, you're really missing out. She's a good follow on LinkedIn. She posts really interesting things. And I tell you what, y'all, she has a really good time uh, doing what she does day in and day out. She really, really is a positive influence on all those that she touches. And she's really sharp. So give her a follow. Check her out. And guys, next time I'm going to be joined by, well, you're going to have to find out because I'm not going to tell you yet. So. Until then, remember, energy is contagious, so be sure to use your big skip energy to help you dominate.